I'm Daniel Fontaine, and you're listening to BC Polytalk. Hi, I'm Carol Taylor. On today's show, we have our wonderful guest. We're going to have Lori Ackerman, who is the mayor of Fort St. John. I've actually never had the opportunity to meet uh, Lori, but I have met you before. And uh, for those who are regular listeners and watchers of BC Polytalk, uh, Bill Thielman's away this week. So we're very fortunate to have uh, Carol Taylor, our former finance minister here at BC Polytalks. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm really happy to be here, especially when it's a day that uh, Mayor Lori Ackerman is going to be with us because I've looked at her and the work she's done in Fort St. John. And uh, as an observer of politics, sometimes a participant, I've just got tremendous respect for leaders when we see a leader. Mm -hmm. And if you really think about it, you know, she's sitting in a place where all of the big issues that you and I talk about, mm -hmm. whether it's in the environment, mm -hmm. whether it's energy, indigenous issues, they all kind of come yes. together in Fort St. John. So she'll be very interesting to talk to. Any any particular issue uh, besides, I, I figure energy is probably going to be on your radar, but anything else that you'd like to ask her now that we've got her in the studio and be able to kind of grill her a little bit? Well, I'm really interested in UNDRIP, okay. which is something that the Prime Minister Trudeau brought in. It got stopped in the Senate, of course, mm -hmm. but he said he's going to bring it back. And Premier Horgan has brought in. And that sets the table for a new relationship with Indigenous peoples. And I'm not quite sure how it's going to work. So I'd like to know what her take is because she works very closely with the Indigenous community mm -hmm. in Fort St. John. So I, I'm interested in her analysis of it. And I know she definitely is big on energy. I think the city is the energetic city. And I think she was given the 2019 Canadian Energy Person of the Year Award. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So I'd like to explore a little bit more with her about that. As well as I understand uh, uh, Fort St. John was recently host to the BC Winter Games. So uh, and they also have, I think, an Olympic oval up there. And there's some real interest in sports. And there's been talk about, of course, the 2030 Olympic Games. So I'd like to explore a little bit more with Laurie about whether or not her community would actually back the bid and whether or not she'd want to have the 2030 games here. Yeah, that's a really good idea because when you talk about it, at first blush, it seems crazy. Right. But then I heard John Furlong talk about it at the big celebration for the 10th anniversary of the Olympics. And he said we would be the first um, area ever to go for a second Olympic bid and not have to build anything. Mm. Usually that's the big right. cost, right? right? But we've kept all of our facilities um, up to date mm -hmm. and uh, they've been used for training. Mm -hmm. it, it's That sort of makes it a little bit different, doesn't it? If that keeps the cost way down. No, so absolutely. I wonder what she thinks. I'm very curious about that. And I also want to ask her what the secret to her political success is. Because I, I think I read somewhere that she was uh, elected either once or twice unopposed, which is um, almost unheard of in a community the size of Fort St. John. So I want to know what her the secret to her political success is. A politician's dream. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll be right back with Lori Ackerman. BC Polytalk thanks Harbour Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. And welcome to Lori Ackerman, the Mayor of Fort St. John. Welcome to our show today. Thank you. So Lori, we're going to get uh, jump right on into it. We have a lot of questions for you uh, about a lot of things up, up north and in your community. But I'm going to maybe start it off by uh, talking a little bit of BC politics. Uh, we've had a, almost about three years now of NDP government. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a sense as to how the government's doing when it comes to issues of the north and rural British Columbia? Any sense of what the folks in Fort St. John are thinking about in terms of Victoria and the, and the politics there? Well, I think if I was to choose one word that would really reflect a lot of what's going on, it's uncertainty. Mm. 
And so when there's uncertainty, there is uh, a bit of a, um, just a real apprehension about investing in things. There's um, granted the um, the decrease in oil prices happened uh, prior to uh, the NDP government coming in, but we need to get back into uh, swing. We need to get some iron out in the field and uh, get to work. And it's not just the oil and gas industry, our forestry industry as well. And right now our egg producers, they still have crop in the field. Mm. And there's unfortunately five levels of bureaucrats between what's in Northeast BC and a decision maker. Mm -hmm. The current government doesn't have a lot of MLA, rural MLAs. So is there anything more you think the, that the provincial government could be doing to support and to help those areas? that you've just referenced? Um, well, in the past, what they've done is come out for visits. But of course, <laughs> with, with the tight um, yes. house, yeah. they've not been okay. um, up. Uh, some of them have been uh, when they've been able to. But um, unfortunately, Premier Hergen, other than the uh, visit for the, the caribou conversation, uh, hasn't been up. I'm going to tag along on that question because uh, I was at the UNDRIP conference where you gave a great speech. Uh, but one of the things that you implied during your speech that was that you were getting pretty tired of the feds not getting action and not being there to support you when you had plans ready to go. Do you want to expand on that? Sure. Uh, we're working really closely with our First Nations neighbours. In fact, uh, just on Tuesday evening, we signed an MOU with Doig River First Nations for addition to reserve land inside the city of Fort St. John. It's really exciting for both communities. Um, it's really difficult to try and um, work uh, with First Nations when they're hampered by levels of government that have should have made decisions decades ago. And um, I'm almost embarrassed to say that the, the amount that I have learned about First Nations and the intergenerational um, disregard that they have had to put up with has, is mind-boggling. So we're working really closely with them. We went to Peru for four years through the Federation of Canadian Municipalities to work with four municipalities. And why you think about global affairs uh, covering our cost to go there, they should be covering our cost to work with our local communities. Mm. There should be no Attawapiskats in Canada. And so when you have projects going, like perhaps the Passive House might yes. be an example, mm -hmm. um, do you find that the, the feds are there and they're partners and they're quick and they've got the dollars? And... No. No. <laughs> no. So on, we built Canada's most, most northern single-family Passive House and our First Nations came for a tour of it. They saw the benefit of building in that uh, to that standard. So the West Moberly First Nations have built their medical clinic to that uh, standard and the Doig River First Nations have built their church community hall to that standard. Standard. When they started uh, their projects inside their timeline, we saw a 50-unit passive house built in Fort St. John and the ribbon cut, and those two projects are still not done. Hmm. We could have worked together with them and had it done w way sooner. So any advice you have, I mean, we've been talking on this show, on this podcast around the whole issue of the Wet'suwet'en and the, mm -hmm. the Coastal Gas Project, and I know you're a big champion of, of resource extraction. Um, any advice you'd give for Victoria or for the hereditary chiefs or the other elected band councils 
to try to come to some resolution to get this project um, essentially completed in the next uh, couple of years during the timeline that they said it was going to be built? Well, the City of Fort St. John did respond to the City of Victoria's resolution. And we told them that um, they need to keep their nose out of it. Mm. This is a Wet'suwet'en issue. And the Wet'suwet'en people are very proud. I'm honoured to know a few of them. And they will work this out. The um, I think what happens is, and in most cases, any project, you've got 20% in favour, 20% against, 60% in the middle saying, could you get out of my way, we're trying to get to work. And we've seen that 60% really riled up in the last little while with all the blockades and the shutdowns. The Wet'suwet'en people need to come to an understanding themselves and they can do it and they've started it and they're working through that process. What we're seeing is a whole bunch of people uh, rallying to a cause that they don't know mm. about, really. They And so when it comes to other communities, they just need to keep their nose out of it. When we um, talk about sort of Indigenous relationships and rights and where we're going, the UNDRIP legislation is very interesting and complicated because I hear different points of view as how to take it. You have worked so closely with the community on projects and and land rights. What's your feeling about the word consent? You know, the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People says you have mm -hmm. to have consent. Mm -hmm. Now, do you see that as a veto? No. And um, everyone that I've spoke to, including people who have actually uh, been party um, to the authoring of it, have said no. It is not veto. Um, and I think that it's about finding that understanding. And I remember an elder saying to me one time, until we're of the same heart, we will never move forward together. So when I think about working with First Nations and understanding, you know, the, the consent, the First Nations have so much on their plate right now because of the lack of attention that they have been getting as, as uh, communities. And when I see what they have to deal with, I, thank heavens, don't have to deal with that at a municipal level. We don't have education. We don't have health care. They do. Um, the First Nations will come to a resolution. They realize that uh, right now they are in poverty. They've, um, they need their uh, young people working. And in, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be the resource industry. There could be peripheral um, services that are needed to support. That's the way Canada grew. And they're not blind to that. So you're one of the most successful mayors, I think, in British Columbia. Did, I think you got acclaimed at some point. I think I don't know if that's true. I think I read that somewhere, but uh, twice. Twice. Okay. So <laughs> I, I was that was accurate. That wasn't okay. fake news. Uh, so acclaimed twice. So that either means that nobody's interested, or they're just too scared of you and don't want to run against you. And I think it's the latter. But what's this the the kind of the secret to your success? First of all, politically, because you you have run unopposed, and secondly, what are some of the other issues that your community is facing besides some of those that we've touched on already? Sure. So um, I was uh, raised by um, parents who said you get from your community what you give to your community, and not one iota more. So I'm a firm believer in getting involved and encouraging others to get involved. Um, 
I was also told that God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> and so listening is a huge part of it. And I spent a lot of time just listening to people. Um, they might need to vent about something that's not even something that I deal with. Um, I hear more um, complaints about healthcare than I do about potholes. Mm. It's, um, we've, uh, I've often said to people who are coming to work for the city of Fort St. John, uh, we only hire rock stars. We don't have time for anyone that's not a rock star because we, um, in the 2011 to 2016 um, census period, we grew by 8.3%. So that was, that broke the national and provincial growth rate. We've got an elementary school that was opened a few years ago. We have another one under construction right now. And I think Surrey is the only other community that would be building new elementary schools. Mm. So we're a community that's growing. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, and I get that. But I also understand that what is foundational to my community is healthcare education and uh, public safety. Mm. So building that foundation is vital to um, doing that. And one of our, um, one of our goals is creating partnerships in the community. It's interesting that you say that because it reminds me of a conversation I had with a former um, Deputy Premier Colin Hansen at, mm -hmm. when he was uh, back in government. And he said he had had discussions with a lot of business leaders and, and, and asked them, what would it take for you to invest and for you to move your businesses into some of these smaller communities? And, and he said he was surprised by the response because the response back to him was, good healthcare, uh, good education, good schools. He said, we need that um, in order to go into those communities because that's what our families want. That's mm -hmm. what our spouses want to be able to make sure that, that that's around. So it's interesting that you say that, that mm -hmm. that is an, an important need. And and do you think enough is being done? Do you think that Fort St. John does, I mean, you're a growing community. I know Surrey's talked about a lack of schools and a lack of uh, placements. How, what's it like in Fort St. John? So uh, some of the opportunities that we've had for partnership, we have a new hospital. We donated the 40 acres for that. Mm. And so that's a significant partnership. Uh, uh, the, the new school that opened a year and a half ago, uh, we contributed two and a half million dollars to enhance the gymnasium so that it become a community space. So we see those opportunities for partnerships. And it's really about creating a community with the amenities that can be used 365 days a year, right? So we're a winter city, right. no such thing as bad weather, it's bad clothing, bad equipment, or bad <laughs> attitude. And it's about creating a community where you're gonna raise your children, and when they grow up, they're gonna go and get their post-secondary, and then when they start thinking about where they're gonna raise their kids, they're gonna think, you know what? I had a good life in Fort St. John. So, yeah. You were named uh, Canada's Energy Person of the Year last year. Congratulations. Thank you. So let's just talk about energy all by itself mm -hmm. um, in terms of Canada and certainly Fort St. John, British Columbia. Where do you think this is, this argument's going? Like, are we moving away from uh, oil and gas? Is this um, a hundred year transition? Is it shorter? Like, how do you feel? Because you're living it every yeah. day. Well, it's we have, uh, in Fort St. John, we have access to every form of energy except tidal. And in 2017, we were Clean Energy BC's Community of the Year because we've taken innovative approaches. We built the passive house. The 50 unit passive house was built by BC Housing through our negotiations with BC Hydro and the Site C Dam project. It was showing how you can leave a lighter footprint. And we have a micro hydro project. We make about $80,000 a year from just the effluent that goes back to the river, tightened up the circumference of the pipe, put an inline turbine in. So we understand energy. And when I 
have these conversations about, you know, the um, petroleum products, the simple reality is, is we're becoming far more efficient um, right from the uh, production, the extraction, the production, leaving a lighter footprint with new technologies, all the way through the, the continuum of the value add on those products. So when you consider what we use uh, the carbon molecule for, if we quit using it, there's going to be some gaps in society. Um, I don't want to go back to killing whales to get the oil, to oil the machinery, etc. Uh, as far as um, you know, electricity goes, uh, the third dam on the Peace River is just seven kilometers from my downtown. We have two working rivers in the province of British Columbia, the Columbia and the Peace. Uh, unless you're planning on damming some more, you're going to have to start thinking about how you're going to conserve energy or where you're going to site some windmills on the North uh, Mountains here. Mm. It's, um, we have to learn as human beings that um, this is, we've put ourselves here. It's our responsibility, not the oil and gas company's responsibility to back off on our consumer demands. But I was chatting with some SFU students the other day by phone and I said, I'll bet you guys are sitting there head to toe in synthetic wear mm -hmm. because of the weather. I know what the weather's like down here and uh, you want to stay dry and the natural fibers don't usually do it. Mm -hmm. And so you can give a very articulate uh, argument about where energy fits in our society and how we need it. But what worries me is the divisions we're seeing in society these days. You have, you know, extreme environmentalists and you have extreme on the other side. And no one seems to be listening. You talked about listening. Nobody seems to be listening. How do you see the environmentalists playing a role? And is it ever going to start working together? I don't think so. There's that 20% that I mentioned in favor, 20% against. And it, those two, you'll never change their mind. It doesn't matter how good the project is or how bad the project is, those two groups will never change their mind. I think what's happened, and I think we've seen this over the last little while, both federally as well as provincially, so you've had an opposition party come into government. And projects that they said no, 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 no to have finally went, uh-oh. Because, and I've said this to people before, when you sit in the decision maker's seat, things change. The reports that come to you change, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think the environmentalists are, um, are going to um, ever disappear. I don't think they should disappear. I think that just, you know, I've often um, said to our Chamber of Commerce, you're my watchdog. You hold my feet to the fire. And I see the same thing with the environmental groups. Um, they need to hold our feet to the fire. And we need to pay attention to our environment. We need to take advantage of economic opportunities while not diminishing our grandchildren's opportunity to do the same thing. So you live in the north and Carol and I live in the metro area here and we have seen and heard many protests as you have seen, I'm sure, on the news. But as a northern mayor, what message would you give to people who are out in their synthetic gear, in their synthetic tents and out protesting and, and doing blockades? and are really opposed to energy extraction in the province. What message do you give to them in terms of the importance of energy to your community? So um, what I say to them is we have a thriving industry and we have been extracting it, producing it, and shipping it for 
decades. And it's my entire region has the same population as Prince George. We're not extracting it for our use. We're extracting it because of the demand, the end user demand. And so if they can understand that, and if they can tell me all of the investment and the safety and the work that goes in behind a light switch and a thermostat um, and, you know, and a plug-in, then yeah, you get out there and, and protest and set up blockades, but you can't do that. Give up what you're protesting against, and then I'll believe you. As a former finance minister, mm -hmm. of course, I've got to ask you about numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so how is the, the economy of uh, Fort St. John, and how's your budget looking? I look at the provincial budget, for instance, and I feel it's quite fragile. Mm -hmm. um, how's your budget? How's your economy? So we've, uh, we're very pleased that for the fourth year in a row, we've got the Government Finance Officers uh, Award for our financial reporting. And it's, uh, again, we hired some rock stars. And so we've really gone through our finances. We did a complete review of our financial policies all of them looked at the risks that they held and the issues. If the operating environment changes at all that, that we operate in, what would the risks be? And we brought them forward in one suite because bringing them forward one at a time, they could uh, lock horns. And so we've done that complete review. We've gone through our budget year after year, looking at ways that we can save money. And I'm really proud to say that our budget uh, in um, the revenue that we needed to increase this year was really for the employee or the employer part of the uh, health tax. Mm. That was, uh, That's that a big was, hit. yeah, it, it was. And so we increased our, um, our tax rate by 1.25%. And mm. we haven't done that in a while. I think we, that Vancouver is 8%. We'd I love to have 1.25%. You say that, <laughs> Vancouver's over 8 wow. Yeah, no, it's amazing. that I'll feel a little less embarrassed. Yeah, no, <laughs> you'd be very proud with 1.25%. Yeah. Um, Lori, uh, in doing some research for this podcast, I looked at some of the work that, that you guys have been doing in Fort St. John, and I, I noticed that you've uh, proclaimed June 5th as Moose Hide Awareness Day, and that's uh, being done to encourage residents to take a pledge to end the violence uh, by wearing a piece of moose hide, mm -hmm. which I've seen, I think, in the legislature. And I'm embarrassed. I, it's yeah, an, I have mine with me that I was wearing tonight and I forgot to put it on. Yeah, and I think you guys have spent something like $85,000 as well over the last couple of years to bring in um, extra police to digitize old uh, case files, etc. Yeah. So you guys have been doing some work there. We, we, every so often we hear about the Highway of Tears. We hear it kind of come back into the news. And I just recently I saw TELUS had installed a, a new tower to help provide better cell coverage. So can you give our listeners and our viewers an update on what's happening with the Highway of Tears? Or is there more work that should and could be done to help prevent uh, that type of violence in the future? Sure. We're not located on the Highway of Tears. Highway of Tears is between Prince George and Prince Rupert, so Highway 16. But it doesn't matter. I mean, any um, anywhere where women are vulnerable and where women or children are being taken advantage of, um, can we be referred to as, as the Highway of Tears. And so, yes, we have um, proclaimed um, Moose Hide Day, and uh, we ensure that uh, we are pulling together people so that they can be aware, they can be educated on, on this. Um, I speak to our ministerial association and all sorts of other agencies and organizations about this. And um, the $85,000, 
we became aware that there were, you know, there's some cold case files and they're sitting in a banker's box and, um, you know, they're they're numbered and everything. And, and so getting them into a format where they can be investigated, uh, we increased the RCMP budget to a few years ago by $85,000 to start that process. And they've been working on that. And I'm proud to say that in the first six months, we had a um, a, a, con, a conviction yeah, of a sexual nice. assault. So uh, that was really heartwarming, and I think that we um, we need to do that. That's the, the part about that that um, kind of gets my goat is that's not a municipal responsibility. Mm -hmm. I was right? going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but someone has to take that step and say that reconciliation needs to turn into reconciliation. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, we've been working hard with uh, the First Nations. Uh, we've put our uh, money away and we're building a new RCMP detachment. Okay. And so we're going to be working with the First Nations to create a beautiful ceremony to uh, bless that land. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Good work. You know, the um, people of Fort St. John are not going to like me asking you this question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've been so successful as mayor, obviously, and you know how to work with different communities. You, you know, everything has been going in such a positive direction. How about moving on to other offices like provincial or federal? Is that in your mind at some place in the future? So um, I did try um, to uh, take the provincial nomination a few years ago, and um, I kind of get the feeling I'm, I dodged a bullet. Um, I'm not one that can stay quiet. And if I see something wrong, then I'm going to say it. And so um, I know there's a party whip, and I'm afraid <laughs> that I may not survive that experience. Um, I will, um, I'll represent my community um, always, wherever I am, even if it's, uh, you know, helping my grandchildren at school, you know, regardless of what my future holds, something will be, uh, will be in my future, but it's, uh, I'm, I don't know. I've not closed any doors, I'm not opening windows, but who knows, we'll see. I would hate you to say no because you feel that you wouldn't be able to speak up because that's the problem. In politics. I know, I know. You know, we get people who we think are going to be good spokespeople and, you know, really be strong and then somehow they are diminished or disappear. And yeah. we just have to have better leadership. I yes. mean, we have to have people like you who really um, do speak up. Yeah. And maybe it causes the whip some fuss, but so what? Well, he, he yeah, I would cause the whip quite a bit of fuss <laughs> and that's but you know if, if if that's the the path that my life takes then I'm I'm open to it I'm just not pursuing it I think that um, as I said to Premier Horgan when I saw him in Prince George in January you will not ac accomplish undrip I will I will with my neighbors mm. so so Lori, um, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit uh, again, because we have a lot of listeners and folks who are living in metro areas, maybe don't understand some of the challenges that you face as both a, a mayor of a northern community and your community as a whole. So enlighten us on, on uh, something that, that people who live down south in the milder climates wouldn't appreciate would be one of the, the challenges that your community faces. And maybe tell us something that you guys have that we simply could never get down in the metro area. You'll never get the northern lights. <laughs> You will never have the pleasure of even um, 
being able to just go outside onto your back deck and seeing the stars. That's something that is just breathtaking. And um, whenever I'm talking to people that have never moved to Fort St. John, I always say, pop up in June or July if you want to. February, January is the best, but pop up in June or July if you want to. Um, I think that uh, people aren't aware of, of the beauty of, uh, of that time of year. Um, I'll tell you, I was watching some bantering back and forth on Twitter about winter tires, snow tires, you know, should we get snow tires? My goodness, you only get a week of snow down here, should you get them? And I, you know, I listened to the argument about the cost of them, you know, now it's going to cost you twice as much for snow tires. Well, I don't run eight tires on my vehicle, I run four. Mm. So the other four are in the shed or being stored at the shop because the, the tire shop will store them for you and they're not being worn out. It's the, um, it's the compound in the tire that reacts to the pavement at a lower temperature. Doesn't matter if there's snow on the ground or what there is. It's um, and so I um, I just I had to casually mention that. The other, th <laughs> the other thing that I think that people in the uh, Lower Mainland don't understand as they sit on their patios or in their favorite restaurant and they're bantering about natural gas and LNG. Propane is a natural gas. So if you're sitting beside your patio heater or the beautiful fireplace in the restaurant that you're at, you're welcome. <laughs> Laurie, uh, so many people look to you as a role model, especially women, young girls. Do you see yourself in that way? Do you feel that the path forward for young women today is any easier than when you came up through the system? Uh, and do you spend time mentoring? Where, where does this fit into your mm -hmm. schedule? So I, I have mentored um, in the past and um, I, I've even mentored when I've not realized that, you know, you just, you say something and it triggers for somebody and, and they come to you, you know, six years later and say, you know, when you said this, I, I took that piece of advice. And, and so I think that um, when I look at my granddaughter, who's now in grade seven, and the life that she has in front of her is way different than the life in front of me at grade seven. Um, I think it's because we've acknowledged that, um, you know, women can go on to be um, doctors and engineers and whatever their little heart desires. Um, and if they want to be a mom, they can do all of that too. And I think that it's just, it's changed. There's a, it's a different world for them. It was a different world for, for me than it was for my mother too. So watching those generations, because my mom uh, was a rarity. She worked full time. Mm. My dad was an innovator. He created innovations and uh, took them to commercialization. And so my mom was that constant uh, with the family paycheck. And so we had a, a completely different upbringing than our neighbors did, whose mother stayed at home the whole time. And um, so I do think that uh, young girls have um, more of an opportunity. Is it an easier opportunity? I don't think so. Um, but I think they need to know that they're gonna have to do exactly what we did. One foot in front of the other foot and just don't take no for an answer. Before we wrap up, I'd, I'd really uh, be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you guys hosted the recently the BC Winter Games. Mm -hmm. It looked very exciting. Looks like the community really enjoyed that. So tell us a little bit about that, why you guys bid on that. And I wouldn't mind hearing from you 
Uh, we've heard some rumors or talk about maybe a 2030 Olympic bid uh, in British <laughs> Columbia. Would that be something that the community of Fort St. John would support? So Fort St. John is home to the Pomeroy Sports Centre and it has uh, Canada's second indoor uh, speed skating oval. So um, we have, uh, when, it, when the opportunity came to us, of course, we have the Morrison um, Denny Morrison, but Denny often talks about his brother Jay, who still um, is in Fort St. John, and his mom and dad. So we have a lot of up-and-coming speed skaters, Olympians. And so it would mean a lot to Fort St. John if there was a 2030 bid, mm -hmm. because we could have a lot of people coming and practicing at, uh, at the Oval. We went with the BC Winter Games because it was an opportunity to showcase our amenities, showcase the community, but more importantly, bring that caliber of sporting mm. to our youth. See, our average age is 31 and a half. Wow. That's younger than my children. <laughs> so when you can bring that caliber of anything to your children and show them what's possible, that's bringing the best out in them. And so that's why we did it. And we had a blast doing it. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to perhaps ask the final question. We're going to have to wrap up, but I'm just going to leave it on more on a lighthearted note. Um, so I, I think I've never been up to Fort St. John, but I suspect I've lived in Edmonton. That's as far north as I've ever lived. So you probably think that's way down south. But it is. Edmonton had four seasons. Yes. And I'm going to ask you, uh, of all the four seasons up at Fort St. John, what's your favorite? And why? Um, so let me begin by saying that uh, Fort St. John is one of four cities in Canada north of the 56th parallel. There's Yellowknife, Whitehorse, and Fort McMurray and Fort St. John as cities. Equalyout is considered a city. My favorite, um, I think, is Sprinter. <laughs> and it's that time of year yeah. when uh, you can wear flip-flops to the car right now as long as you've shoveled the walk. <laughs> but um, it's it's warming up and we are two weeks away from the spring equinox and so it's um, it's just an amazing you see the daylight really start to increase we're at 11 hours right now we were down to uh, just under seven mm -hmm. and you see a real uh, dramatic difference in the in the community and the life of the community sprinter sprinter i'll have to remember that yes. one yeah. see we enjoy the four seasons so much that occasionally we duplicate them in within or a you create a whole period. new season yeah uh, sprinter mm -hmm. well laurie thank you so much for thank coming you. on bc poly talk today really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, many of the uh, important issues that are facing your community really thank appreciate you. you coming on thank thanks you. so much great to see you again. thank you we'll be right back bc poly talk thanks harbor air for supporting the show it's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. So Carol, uh, I tell you, that was the first time I've ever actually met Lori. I uh, had the opportunity to sit down with her. Boy, is she ever impressive. She is such an impressive leader. And I've got this hobby horse that I'm on, which is trying to get good people to run in politics. Because with social media the way it is, and it's so nasty these days, you know that uh, we're not going to have good government. Mm -hmm. We're not going to have good public service unless we have good people willing to stand up and do it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful when I see a leader like Lori. And of course, I was trying to coax an answer out of her that she might uh, think about provincial politics yeah. or federal politics. 
divorced at this point in her career. Uh, she didn't close the door. She did not close the door. In fact, I think she left a little bit bigger than just a little crack. And I think having someone like Lori um, in a place like Victoria would definitely be a, a breath of fresh air. I think that the, the public and, and people are calling for uh, more openness and kind of that kind of frank discussion. I think we need more of that. I agree with you. Yeah, get people away, politicians away from their briefing notes mm -hmm. where they're not doing any thinking. They're just giving the notes that they're supposed to give and really start to listen, as she kept emphasizing, mm -hmm. but also, you know, talking from their heart. And she definitely did that. And I was very impressed by her uh her ability to provide some, I think, good, interesting messages to people who perhaps are not supportive of the energy sector in British Columbia, and not everybody has to be, but to, to be able to speak to people who are out protesting and to tell them, look at what you're wearing and look at what you're using every day by way of energy. And that comes from communities like, like Fort St. John. And I know uh, from the folks that I have talked to up there, that's a big area of frustration. And I can only imagine the mayor would carry that stick with her as she comes down to places like Vancouver to talk about energy extraction. And wasn't it interesting to uh, sense her frustration, I would say, with other levels of government? So there she is. She's a mayor. She's working with the Indigenous community. She's working with others in the community. They're getting the passive house built. Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting things mm -hmm. done. And they go to the federal government with a project and can't get a response, right. waiting, waiting, uh, or provincial partners. And um, I mean, she was as forthright as I think you could be when she just said, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get these guys moving. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's an important lesson that I hope maybe some people in Victoria or Ottawa are, are listening to. I have a feeling we haven't heard the last of no. Mayor Ackerman, and I have a feeling that uh, her future is very bright when it comes to uh, getting into other levels of government. I have a feeling that we might see her at the provincial, who knows, maybe even the federal level at some point. So, I think that'd be great. So thank you so much, uh, Carol, for uh, being on the show and for filling in for Bill. Uh, you're always welcome to be back here at BC Polytech thank anytime. You. So I'm Daniel Fontaine, the co-host for BC Polytech. I'm Carol Taylor. And thanks so much for tuning in. And remember, you can find everything at our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can also chase us down on Spotify and iTunes for podcasts. You can find us on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find links there. You can go to YouTube and see the show. 